Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Leading Women in Tech Time. I'm your host, Tony Collis. How are you doing? How is May? I'm recording this right at the beginning of May, and so I feel like it's May, it's spring. Well, for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. The weather has been absolutely gorgeous. I'm like, summer is truly here already. (laughs) I hope that you are having a fabulous spring too, and that you are well on your way to whatever your next level is. You know I'm a big believer in next levels. You know I I love transitioning, right? Um, Some of the biggest steps happen in our careers when we transition. And I feel like as we step from spring into summer, or for that matter, if you are in the Southern Hemisphere and you're stepping from autumn or fall into winter, as those seasons change, it's worth changing the season of your career. Are you stepping up in some way? Are you taking on a new challenge? Are you transitioning? Are you looking for the next thing? Or are you settling? Are you settling in some way? Which is a perfect way to introduce this week's guest speaker, because we're talking a little bit about how sometimes we settle in our careers as women. Let me introduce Sinead Sharkey Steenson. She is the career elevator coach at Generation Women where she helps get the promotions and pay rises for women that they deserve. Of course, she's also, like me, passionate about equality and seeing more women in leadership. And Sinead loves blending the practical strategies with the simple mindset tools to help achieve those amazing results, including helping her clients get 100% more in pay, multiple promotions. We're all down for that, right? She has 20 years corporate experience in HR, leadership development, business improvement, and cultural transformations before she then became a full-time coach. And she was also recognized as one of 22 leaders to learn from in 2022 by the Bunch Leadership app. So without further ado, let's get her onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Just before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know about a special LinkedIn live series I'm running with the amazing Mika Govig. She was on this show not that long ago, I think about a month ago now, <laughs> by the time this podcast episode goes live. It's always hard, we record ahead of schedule. Um, she was on the show and we just hit it off. We both care so much about women in tech and we both personally experienced being the only woman in the room. So we decided to put on a LinkedIn Live discussion about being the only woman in the room because it is one of our challenges, right? It can both be a challenge, but also an opportunity. And that's what we're going to be discussing over three weeks on LinkedIn. And it all kicks off today. If you're listening to this, the day this podcast episode goes live, Tuesday, 17th of May, then I'm going live with Mika today at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, or 5 p.m. UK. So pick your time. (laughs) Head over to my LinkedIn profile, which is just Tony Collis. Link in the show notes, as always. And you'll see that there is an upcoming event hosted by me. Um, Just click there to get notified. Or alternatively, just log on to LinkedIn. And as somebody who follows me, if you don't follow me, go follow me. Go friend me if you want. I always accept connection requests. But if you follow me, then you will get notified when we go live. And come and join in the discussion. 
We start this week, but we are going for three weeks, same time every Tuesday for three weeks. And next week, we have a very special live in that we've got some extraordinary leaders and executives coming on to discuss their own experience of being the only woman in the room. Some of these women, I mean, all of the women actually that are coming on next week are simply extraordinary in what they do. There is so much to learn from these women. So please do join us next week. But of course, I hope you join Mika and I today as we kick off this discussion of the challenges of being the only woman in the room. Welcome to the show, Sinead. It's wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you, Tony. I am delighted to be here. Well, let's start as I always like to start. Can you share with us your career journey, highlights and a few lowlights and why you are now passionate about supporting women in their leadership careers? I would love to. I love telling my story. Um, <laughs> so I'll give you the potted version. Start, some of the things that happened in my childhood obviously have had an impact on my career. So two big things would be being labelled shy at seven and that being a real part of uh, my identity that was given to me and then um, my dad was very invested in what he wanted me to do as his career as a, a, a career because he wasn't happy in his and mm. um, he was like he wanted me to be an international lawyer which I think we just <laughs> watched a lot of LA law <laughs> He was an accountant um, and obviously I'm not that now, but he died very suddenly when I was 15 um, and I was just like, right, I don't actually know what I want to do because it had always been his vision of it. Um, And so I decided to go to university. I was ambitious. He left me with real ambition and a belief that I could do anything. And uh, went to university, studied psychology and came out with a, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> what do you do as a job here? And uh, kind of drifted into things, did HR and a management programme for a couple of years. And then there was a big tech boom uh, started in Northern Ireland. I was living here uh, at the time. And so I went back and did a master's in tech. And knew from like day three, I'm in the wrong place. But I'm here now and I was being paid quite a lot of money to do it. <laughs> so it's stuck <laughs> with it, which, which got me a great job at the end of it um, in a big global organisation. And that was when the shy seven-year-old came back and total imposter syndrome. And suddenly I found myself in this big, organization in quite a big job but feeling like I am getting found out any day now uh, and and roll on a few years of kind of misery and because uh, and, I went and of course bought a house and a car and did all the things that trap you into a job <laughs> and I was oh my god what am I gonna do I'm just so stuck and miserable <laughs> And cried a lot into my red wine on a Friday night. <laughs> Until... It's always heartbreaking when we hear those stories, yeah. <laughs> it is. But 
I, I kept these uh, sea in Northern Ireland. Uh, I had to catch a grip of myself and just recognise nobody's coming to fix this for me. I think that was the thing. I was waiting for some magical thing to change and I realised that isn't happening. And so I did a lot of soul searching then and um, what what can I do that really taps into my strengths? Because I knew if I kept on this road, I was actually doing quite well in the job, but I never felt confident in it and I never believed in myself. And even though I shaped it into what worked for me, I was just like, this is not the right path. And so that's when I really started to look at my strengths and my passions and what excited me. And had a revelation one evening, uh, drinking red wine. <laughs> really sorry. I don't advocate that as a career tool, um, but it did help me at the time. And it was just like, I, I went back to my psychology and my HR. I loved the how people think and, and connecting people. And I realised I was working in a place where I wasn't the only person that was unhappy. We'd had a really horrendous employee engagement survey. And I just thought, that's it. I can help people be happier at work, and connect better with what they do, and embark then on a whole uh, process of cultural transformation within the organisation um, went and asked my boss would he let me loose on that and he did because he didn't know anything else to do <laughs> so he was just like yeah crack on and I found my thing and from that moment I just I couldn't get enough of reading about what I wanted to do and my confidence just left it was like I found my strengths and then everything sort of clicked into place for me and find coaching and training others and that was me um absolutely loving it until uh i i decided yeah after having children i wanted to to take that in a different direction and not just keep going up and up in an organization but to help women achieve what i was achieving at work which was success whilst loving what i do and um, having worked in with predominantly men my whole life, it was like, okay, why not? I'd had two daughters and was starting to see the world a bit differently. And I was like, okay, I want something better for them. I realise I've settled a lot in my career. I've been held back a lot. I'm working with not many women at the top. Maybe this is what I need to do. And uh, that was the best decision I ever made. Mm. You, you mentioned, like, oh, first of all, actually, you said there that you want women to have success and love what they do. And I, I love that so much. I talk about how we should all love Monday mornings. I actually get excited about Monday mornings. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. husband's like, I'm, on Sunday, like, I lie in bed. And, like, sometimes I really struggle to sleep. Like, I've got to work on this one about myself, right? And I struggle to sleep because I'm just so, like, just like, oh, my God, tomorrow's a Monday. <laughs> and he's like, you're really weird. I'm like, I know. I wish we all had that. We were ambitious and not afraid of it. We were successful and loving it so I love that that's part of what drives you but I just wanted to pick up there you said you settled a lot in your career mm. and this is a theme I see with many of the amazing simply extraordinary women I work with but we're settling 
what, how do you think this like causes us long-term damage? Like what's going on? Why, why do you and I immediately have like, that's a problem? Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think the things, it's just because we accept the stories that are around us. So I think, you know, of times when I even challenged once that I was on a lower grade than other, let's face it, men around me. And I remember being told, well, if we challenge this, then they are more likely to get downgraded than you upgraded. And I just left it there and I accepted that. And funny, if I'd have been told that about my best friend or a colleague, I'd have been much more likely to go in to fight for them than for myself because I have a real thing about unfairness but for some reason, we're just trained not to rock the boat for ourselves, to not show too much ego and um, push. And I, I do think we have to challenge that and start thinking like our own best friend. And, you know, what would I do for somebody else in this situation? And actually, by doing that, we are helping the next woman. You know, I'm coaching a woman at minute and she's one of the first very senior leaders to go out on maternity leave and she is finding coming back she's having to break through so many of these uh, things that other people don't see and have settled for and break through and she finds it bit uncomfortable but I keep reminding her you're doing it for you and for every woman that comes behind you <laughs> makes it easier so uh, blazing that trail is uh, isn't easy I think I think there's a couple of really fascinating things there um the fact that you explicitly link uh, it's easier if we're doing it for those coming behind us. I quite often will talk to my clients like you know my personal mission is to change the face of the technology industry. I love coaching and so that's how I'm doing it. But I am fully aware that part of what's driving me is it's not just about the women in front of me. It's about the influence what she does to her career is going to have on the women coming behind her. The fact that not every single woman has the, I don't know if it's grit or strength or, you know, whatever it takes to be the one that says, I'm, I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to be different. That takes something extraordinary. And Many of us will have periods in our lives where we don't have that. Some people never have that. And that's not their fault, right? Society should be doing better. But I, I love to tell my clients, like, this is not just about you. It's about every single woman. And I feel like sometimes that can put a burden on them. But I love what you just pointed out there, that sometimes it's actually easier when we make it not about us, right? Yeah. And because we've been trained to be the nurturers yes. and carers for others, so it makes a lot of sense. And that I know from our previous chats, like we really connected on so many levels. And I think this is one of the big things. And I have a, a program called the Career Elevator. And I'm like, you know, it's about elevating your career. But do you either bring people in the elevator with you or at the very least you send it back down to bring others up? Yes, <laughs> behind yeah, you. right. Uh, so that's an absolute core value for me. I think we do have a responsibility to change and shape things for for mm. everyone around us. Mm. Okay, well, let's, let's move on because we could talk about that one all day. <laughs> but we have a couple of interesting ones I really want to get to today. Um. 
what do you think are the five most important areas we as women leaders need to be aware of and be working on? If you had to label five of your top things, what would they be? Right. The first one is definitely to make what you do visible. So I work with so many leaders um, and women who are amazing at their jobs and they make it look too easy. And I remember yes. working with this woman. So she's at a really top level in her job and going to board meetings and, and senior leadership team meetings. And she's like, nobody pays attention to anything I do. And when we dug into it, it was because she never had a problem. <laughs> she was always fixing and solving everything and just going in and saying, yeah, things are great. I'm like, you're making it look too easy because... Nobody can see what you do yeah. and why it's easy for you and all the problems you're solving. So you've got to talk about what you do and the impact you're having and the changes you're making mm. and the problems you're solving. Like take your space in the meeting. We are so very conscious of shrinking to make time. Oh, it's coming to the end of the meeting. I don't want it to run over. No, still take your space. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, so number two, what would number two be? Um, number two, definitely, it's a bit what we were talking about earlier, being inclusive and changing your environment for the better. So making sure your inclusion is a very active thing. So paying more attention, asking more questions, listening to people. And finding out from the people around you, how can we make this place better? Because your perspective is not going to reflect everybody else's. Yes. Oh, again, I, I really want to dig into that, but I know we're going to talk about that one in a minute. So let's, let's put a pin in that one. Yeah. <laughs> These are really good. <laughs> so number three is one I see from women a lot is Powering on ahead without recognising how under pressure and under stress you are and where mm. that's coming from. And so I think it's really important that we connect into how much pressure we put on ourselves to hyper-achieve, to be perfectionist, to uh, to do be all things to all people. And so just stepping back and asking, you know, what is really important here? What do I need to be focusing on? And how much am I killing myself mm. <laughs> to get things done? So I, I am going to dive into that one just very briefly, because it ties into what you were saying at the beginning about settling. And one of the biggest sources of that workplace stress, I think, which obviously ultimately stress leads to burnout. So we do need to pay attention to this. But it is it's powering through it's saying I'm just I'm just going to do this and so we we settle and then we power through and that's just not it's not good for anybody it's not good for the business it's not good for our productivity it's not good for our mental health and it's certainly not good for our long-term careers yeah absolutely and yeah women that are traditionally the fixers and and the carers and we get everything done like I think the pandemic has been the perfect example of this is how many women um not only excelled at their jobs but homeschooled looked after elderly parents looked after people in the community 
and that's all phenomenal but who's looking after you and what are you doing for yourself and I know we can talk self-care has become such a trite term but actually for me self-care is just becoming so much more aware of the pressure that you put on yourself to be amazing in all things yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that because self-care, I mean, I talk about self-care a lot and I, I really do believe in it, but you're right. It's become, actually, um, somebody in my academy was like, I know you're going to tell me to do some self-care, Tony, and I'm doing that. And, and I I do think it's becoming an overused term because I think we think self-care is going out and getting massages and shopping and all that. And it, it's not, it's actually slowing down and it's saying, hey, I need to do something for me here. All those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're, you're completely right. It's uh, And it's giving yourself permission to have a nap or to... Yes. <laughs> I'm a napper. <laughs> I'm a total napper. Like, that's always going to be top of my self-care. <laughs> but it's permission to have some time on your own, to say no to things. Like, we just need to say way more no. What if we just lent into, we're going off topic here, we'll go back on topic in a second, but what if we all just decided that self-care is learning how to say no? That is like the number one self-care thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're saying yes to all the things, you're always saying no to you. Mm. And it's just not fair on you. Or you can't be all the things to everybody if you haven't done that bit. So yeah. I love that. Self-care is seeing lots more no. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's do four and five so we can get on to, because I really want to talk more about um, inclusion in just a moment. (laughs) So number four is about developing your support team. So women, (laughs) we're we're great at powering through, as we've said. And lots of us have loads of great friends and the rest of it, but it's finding those people that you can talk about this stuff with, that they don't glaze over after a minute of talking about work, that they've got ambition, that they they understand where you're at. And so, you know, one of my programs is a mastermind program for this very reason, so that the women can surround themselves with people at the same level that get it, and are behind you and the only investment in you is that they want you to be successful none of the rest of it is is a an issue so Mm. yeah get get some good people around you that you can call on and, and really talk about the tough stuff with oh that's beautiful okay and number five Number five is the real mission of mine to help women feel more confident in themselves. And I think the number one way you can do that as a leader and as a person is a discipline of focusing on what you are and what you have instead of what you're missing. I love it. Yes. Focus on the gain, not the gap, right? Really, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. When we go into panic mode, it's entirely because we're all the things I don't know, I don't, I'm missing. Just take a pause and ask yourself, no, but what do I know? What have I done that's like this? And you've always got something in the tank there that you've built up in some other way. Like, if, imagine the world of women that recognize that alone. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? 
And, you know, just again, like take a moment to look around at your male peers. Do you think they don't look at how great they are? They do. I mean, I'm not saying that men don't, you know, focus on the gap as well. I know my husband does. (laughs) But I, I think as women, on average, we find it a lot harder to focus on what we have rather than what we don't have. And it's just not good for our mental health. It's not good for anything. It, I, I, I think that when we focus on that gap, when we focus on what we don't have, it isn't just like, you know, a, a, a bad thing in terms of productivity and all that sort of stuff. It's also just a recipe for a downward spiral, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all the things that we've talked about, that internal pressure and the settling mm. because you don't think you're good enough and all of those things like even the angular Merkel, god damn it focus on that and and really push yourself and work crazy hard and you'd think god she must be one of the most confident people in the world um, and it is a simple discipline of hit the pause mm. and go actually no what do i have here yeah Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to one of our favorite topics, inclusion. But more specifically, we want to talk about leadership and supporting intersectionality, uh, which I know you're very passionate about. So can you start, first of all, by explaining what intersectionality is for those who don't know, um, and also how this can be helping and also hindering our careers? Absolutely. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're already in agreement that the workplace is harder for women. I don't think we need to argue that. Um, well, when you think about being part of another minority, so, you know, maybe in terms of race, disability, LGBTQ, um, neurodivergent, mental health challenges, all of those things, intersectionality is where things become harder because of the intersection of those two things or three things. And if you think the more boxes you tick, then the harder things get. And when we go back to, you know, we were talking about sending the elevator back down and all of those things, I think we all have a responsibility to just be way more aware of what other people have had to overcome to get to where they are. Like the playing field is so uneven. And the more challenges um, in terms of those things you face, then the harder it's been. So for somebody to get to a level is just phenomenal. And we have to be more cognizant of that, more supportive, and be more actively inclusive to, to support the people around you. Yeah, we face more discrimination and bias and and that shows up in every way from um, whether you leave or be interviewed for a job to uh, going for promotion to dealing with microaggressions every single day. There's there's so many things. And I just, I talked to some of my black friends and disabled friends and you just hear the exhaustion from them Mm. that... I'm having to do this extra work um, in all areas of life just to to get on. Mm. Well, you mentioned very briefly in that 
neurodiversity. Um, and I know this again is something you're very passionate about personally. Can you explain a little bit about you know what neurodiversity is for again for those who might not know, and and also like how how does that play into careers both for us as leaders managing potentially neurodiverse team, but also for individuals who are neurodiverse. Like what can we be doing differently? Yeah. Um, so neuro, neurodiversity is actually quite a new thing for me. Um, over lockdown, uh, we noticed some challenges for my daughter. Um, she was struggling to sit down and focus, as I think every child <laughs> tried to homeschool was. But we had to, we have two daughters and I was starting to see differences. And I said to my husband, I think it might just be more than... She doesn't want to homeschool. And so when I started reading up on different things, we were um I identified that she quite possibly um is ADHD. And we've since come to discover, and she's actually going for assessment tomorrow for autism. And neuro neurodiversity can cover a whole range of things. And it's it's just differences in the brain. So dyslexia. Uh, dyscalculia, which is, uh, most people are probably familiar with dyslexia. Dyscalculia is challenge with numbers. Uh, there's sensory processing disorders. Uh, like there's a whole uh, area of um, neurodiversities and divergences. And so again, it's about my big learning, I think, from working with my daughter is to stop looking at behaviour as good and bad in the workplace as well. It's to look at it as a struggle. Like if so, who really goes out in life to try and be uh, in inverted commas bad? Like if we think of most behaviour as being a struggle and we look at the world as being set up for neurotypical people, which probably only form maybe sixty percent of the population, if even. I'm. I was going to say it's neurotypical. What What does that even mean when we're all on a we're all on like a bell curve anyway, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, is there a, is there a median at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's the thing. But um, I know sort of researchers in ADHD and whatever would say at least forty percent of people mm. have some level of neurodivergence. I, I'm not the expert. I don't know that there probably is more, but. One of the big things is for women, it looks really different than for men. So all diagnostic um, approaches were developed for men and boys. And so this stuff is picked up really late in life for a lot of women. And I feel really fortunate that we have picked it up for my daughter at seven. Uh, she's now nine because so many accommodations have been able to be made for her at school like she just likes learning in a different way she thinks mm. in a different way she's way more creative than I will ever be she is an unreal problem solver she just approaches things differently and we need that because that's where so much innovation comes from and I mean if you look at the entrepreneurial world like neurodivergence is <laughs> it's massive there because you know it's it creates really innovative thinking and minds um mm. 
And I love on LinkedIn now that uh, dyslexic thinking has been recognised as a skill and, and something to to be proud of. I didn't know that. I'm going to go and Google that afterwards. Yeah. That's, a, that's interesting. Um, just there a little bit about, you know, the fact that it's underdiagnosed in women. I've certainly picked up on this. I've had two clients while they've worked with me get diagnosed with ADHD. And, and both of these women are simply extraordinary achievers. Like, I mean, they are blowing everybody's minds. I'm not saying that everybody listening to this couldn't be that kind of person. But, that, you know, I, I think I want everybody to hear that this doesn't have to hold you back. It's not a box to put yourself in if you get diagnosed later in life. It's not a box. It's a tool to help you understand how to do even better things with your extraordinary brain, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. We've all got different abilities and capabilities, but it, it shouldn't hold you back. We, we all know mega successful people that mm-hmm. are neurodivergent. Uh, and they are even more successful because look at what they've overcome, the traditional mm-hmm. education yes. system, life, everything being stacked up and set in a way that doesn't work for their brain and yet they're still making things happen. Now, it doesn't work like that for everybody because it is a lot to overcome. So just, you know, I certainly see people that struggle with organisation and um, maybe communication and that kind of thing. It's looking and working with people. Like as a leader, if you just more pay more attention, listen more, ask more questions and find out about what people's struggles and strengths are. And when you have those conversations, then you can really open things up to be more inclusive no matter what the challenge is mm, i love that okay we do need to move on to the quick fire round oh i'm excited about this okay are you ready <laughs> what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given i really struggle with this because i delete things from my brain that i don't find <laughs> useful good <laughs> um, so i asked my husband what was his and he said stick with it so oh no. <laughs> he was told to stick with a job that nearly made him ill. Now, luckily, I counteracted that and said, so never stick with anything that's hurting you, that's, you know, that's stressful, that's not serving you. Start looking at what can I change and how can I get out and forget loyalty. Do what's right for you. Mm, love it. Okay. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? This one was from my dad. So my dad always said, just get get your foot in the door and work everything out afterwards. <laughs> and he was right um, in so many ways. If we could just make that step to, to make what we want happen, you will always, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will work it out. So just take that brave bit and get your foot in and then you'll suss it out afterwards. Okay, love it. Love that too. Yes, get your foot in, suss it out afterwards. Really, yeah, love that so much. Um, I'm, I'm trying really hard to not dive into that with you. <laughs> Quick fire around here. Okay, let's talk networking, uh, one of my favorite topics. So favorite top networking tip? Right, I know networking makes most people want to vomit in the match. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was one of them. <laughs> so my ultimate networking tip is Stop looking at 
meeting new people and start connecting with people you already know better Mm -hmm. because there's always somebody that knows what you need or has the connection to what you need already in your network you just haven't asked beautiful yes start looking at it like that yes okay favorite mindset tip to help leaders Okay, so I use a lot of positive intelligence in my coaching. Um, mm. It's a guy called Shuzad Shemaine. I'm a positive intelligence coach. And one of my favorite things is to pay attention to your judge. So your judge of self and your judge of others. So when you're feeling negative, when you hear yourself going, oh, you can't do that, or what did you do that for? Catch it and label it as your judge and recognise your judge is a big, big fat liar and not <laughs> to be trusted. <laughs> and so when you distance yourself from that, so you become aware, you label it and you recognise that it's full of shit. <laughs> then, Splendid. Then it, it loses its hold over you. Lovely. That yes, recognize the judge. I love that one. I love positive intelligence too. I'm glad you brought that one up. Um, one of my favorite areas to like. I'm I'm not a positive intelligence coach, but it's one of the things I think is really good for opening up our abilities to think outside the box and to really accelerate our careers. So I'm glad you mentioned that one. Okay, um, how can people connect with you? Find out more about what you do. Um, so the two best places are LinkedIn. Uh, connect, I love people connecting with me on LinkedIn and send me a message, Sinead Sharky Steenson, or my website, which is genwomen.global. And you can send me a message on there. And you can also sign up. I run a, a free five-day challenge that really builds confidence and career strategy and the energy and motivation. And so you can get the details of both of those things and uh, both of those places. Perfect. And I will make sure that those are linked in the show notes. If you're listening and you want to go and check out Sinead, please do head over to the show notes for all your links in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sinead. This has been amazing. Like, I do think I've had to, like, stop myself um, here. Like, so we have, like, a sensible length episode. Otherwise, it'd be, like, two hours long. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. I love the way you think. I love the way you solve problems. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with the show. But just to wrap up, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Just go out and make yourself visible. Like, shout about what you do and recognise that the thing that you do easiest is the thing that you need to be talking about most. So Mm. recognise that that's your superpower, the thing you take for granted. Get talking about it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, Tony. And just before we wrap up today, one final reminder, remember that at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. UK, I am going live on LinkedIn to discuss being the only woman in the room. Head over to LinkedIn and wait for us to start. There's also an event, so you can always just head to my profile and find the event that is coming up later today. If you're listening to this the day the podcast drops, that is Tuesday, May 17th. Until next time, remember, stay in your technician game. 
follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.